Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, as always. Chris Light, Chris Sherrod, and Brent Starnes. Great to see you guys. Um, this morning, I'm going to throw it over to Brent Starnes. Brent, go ahead and kick us off. Thanks, Colson. So we are continuing our series on the Bible, and this particular section of episodes is specifically regarding how we got the Bible, how we have the books that we consider Scripture now, because there are a lot of questions surrounding this that are, are really valid and can be confusing depending on what you've heard about it, and it's easy to have misconceptions about it. So we feel like it is important to tackle. And two episodes ago, we talked about how we got the books of the New Testament. And so I'm just going to summarize really quick and get us up to speed, and then we can continue that conversation. But one of the things we talked about with the New Testament specifically, and a lot of this applies to the Old Testament, but are the criteria of the canon. So the ways that scripture or the books of the Bible were considered scripture for the New Testament by just the early Christians and the churches in that area. So the first one was that the writings had apostolic connections. So they were either written by an apostle or the testimony of an apostle. And this is because Jesus gave the apostles authority. And even in John 14, 26, he said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. And I've never connected that before now with the fact that he's promising that they'll have remembrance of his life and his right. words. And so as they're writing those down as scripture, that's being fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. he promised the Holy Spirit would mm-hmm. aid them in that process. So that's the first one. And I'll add, I think yeah. it's... It's interesting for us to, to go, like, how can they remember so many things? It We do remember things so poorly nowadays versus... Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Then. Yes. Like, we just, we just, in our minds, we're like, how could you remember all that? But <clears throat> people did that all the time. Yes. And I even, I think we've talked about this in here, how many num- phone numbers I used to know <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. versus what I know now. <laughs> now yes. I just don't Do you know, know your wife's I, now? She's the only number I know. <laughs> really? Like, yep. Literally. So because I, I feel exactly the same. I think I only and the memorize Mason's number because I we have a thank you card at Brookshire's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. always like, what's your thank you card number? And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to memorize this phone number. I mean, like, they were encouraged to memorize or required to memorize whole books of the Old Testament. Yeah. Right. Wow. Which, and we're like, I can't even memorize yeah. two verses. And then another criteria is that it was recognized as authoritative by contemporaries. So other believers were referring to it and, and seeing it as scripture at the time, which we talked about in Second Peter. Even books of the Bible reference each other as scripture, which mm-hmm. is a really cool thing. How Peter's referencing Paul and how Paul's hard to understand sometimes, uh-huh. but says that people distort it as they do other scriptures. Wow. And that's a neat thing in scripture that it's it's referencing each other mm-hmm. as, as the word of God. And then... The third one being that um, the content was congruent with the rest of the canon and Christian teachings. So we talked about how some of the other Gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas or some of the others that weren't included in the canon, 
might have met some of the other criteria, but they weren't consistent with Christian teachings and the teachings of Jesus, so we're not included in the canon. And then some people, I'm curious to know if you guys also view this as a criteria, but some people consider a qualifier for being scripture is that the writer or the writings were confirmed by acts of God, so like prophecy or something in it that was fulfilled, which doesn't apply to every book in the New Testament. Right. right. It doesn't apply to all of them, but... But certainly that was a an attention getter. A supporter. If it had yeah. that for sure. Yeah. And then right at the end, I believe we talked about how often there's a misconception that the councils that brought together some of the books of the Bible or recognized rather the books of the right. Bible. So the Council of Nicaea and the Council Council of Hippo. Is that what was it? Chris? Synod. Synod, yeah. Synod okay. of Hippo. Mm-hmm. Um, how a lot of people view that as, oh, this is when Scripture was decided, but instead that they were recognizing books that were already being considered Scripture. And the council itself was to discuss theology mm-hmm. in the early church. Right. But they also said, hey, this is the canon. These are the books that have already been considered Scripture by the church. Yeah. They, they actually used the Latin phrase recepimus, which meant we receive. That was their attitude was we were receiving these, we're acknowledging these, not making them authoritative. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you can go way back into the uh, very early on. I think, I, I think it's around 150, 160, 170, something like that, that we had the Gospels compiled together, kind of just uh, that we have evidence of that they were already being, the four Gospels that we have today were already mm-hmm. being compiled together. Um I know by the mid 300s you had you know letters and sermons and stuff connecting the the books that we have in the New Testament now already compiled together this is them this is what we agree to and so what it really turned into was it it's sometimes when it gets presented as you know there was all these different collections of books and mm-hmm. they fought about it and right. the people who won got to decide what Christianity was right that just does not fit with the reality of the situation and even i, I mean, mean it's a good narrative yeah. if you're trying to discredit scripture it's, but yeah it's just not an accurate one right, <laughs> right. well and it, even we had mentioned last time too like talking about people who disagreed and it was like one person and their follower right out of the entire right. you know was, council so there was like that was actually a big part of why that we and we did discuss a little bit of as to why there was canonization at all why did they do that mm-hmm and we've talked about the death of the apostles, that the, the apostles were dying, and so they wanted to get this stuff written down and gathered together, that there was persecution happening, and they weren't sure what was gonna, how that was going to last. But a big part of why there was finally a, okay, we're going to pick the books, and we're going to decide, and we're going to stick with these mm. based on these headings, was also largely because of the, amount, the number of heresies mm-hmm. that were being created, that everybody was coming up with. Here, here's what I would like Christianity. It was actually mm-hmm. the exact opposite. It was right. not, here, uh, we want Christianity to be, we're going to invent a version of Christianity we like, and then we're going to compile some books that back our viewpoint. It was, these are the books we've all been using. These are the books we've all been referencing. They reference each other. The church fathers reference them. These are the ones that get that. And so we're now going to proclaim that if you're going to bring something new, it's got to come from these. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to bring something new and say, you know what, we th- I think Christianity is best understood as this, okay, well, we're all going to then use these books to defend that. Yeah. And, and that became the, that's why they had to do it. A big part of why they had to do it was to protect those original books so that not everyone could just add stuff in later. Mm-hmm. And um, all of the New Testament books were 
completed. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but they were completed by the end of the first century. Mm-hmm. Is right. That correct. Yeah. yeah. And th- I believe there are some some rumors or different claims that oh yes, books were written later that seemed to confirm, but it was like no, all of the New Testament books were completed right. really early historically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There are. I mean, obviously there are controversies. There are people who present otherwise. There are people who make other cases. But I, I don't. I have never found any of them to be particularly compelling. And we mm. can talk about some of those when we talk about, you know, some more textual analysis conversations. But I, yeah. I think, I think that most people agree. I think probably the primary authorships academy would agree that, um, if not not everybody, of course, but that that there's a good unity. The gospels, the letters were written and established and accepted before the end of the first century. Um, and that's obviously important because they're, you really mm-hmm. need them to be eyewitnesses, which means they can't be a whole lot older than that. I wanted to recommend, there's actually a special seminar series of uh, podcasts, the Special Seminars in Biblical Studies by Michael Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R. He has several really good podcasts about canonization that I would, if somebody out there wants to dig into it, you know, obviously we're skimming along the surface some, and and again, most of our purpose here is to say, you know, the questions you had, the fears you have, don't panic, mm-hmm. dig in, and if you dig in, you will discover right. that there's something to build on here. It's not it's not arbitrary. It's mm-hmm. not some emperor who came around later and, you know, William Shakespeare right. in the 1500s didn't decide what books go in the Bible and then he wrote them. Like all the right. ridiculous theories that you hear. And you, and I think if you're not willing to. Even just, I mean, from from now, that's not like we haven't we haven't like spent hours yeah. and hours and hours looking. It's like we just looked at it, and then it's actually when you when you dig into what the council was and the purpose for it, it's actually like, oh, whoa, okay, that's actually a lot more affirming and comforting yeah. about the early church fathers than it is like disconcerting about our faith and where we are right now. And so that's, yeah, I love that you said that because that signifies like, okay, just make sure you dig in. If you have this question or you you're met with something that's like, okay, I'm a little bit scared of this or this kind of could potentially shake what I believe. Look at it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And we talked about faith early on and the importance of being willing to think hard and deep. And I think a lot of people just want, you know, quick answers. So what we're talking about is, you know, technical stuff, and we're talking about evidences and details, but that's just part of solidifying what you believe. But I would also add to not be intimidated by any claim that anybody just throws out, because I think that's what happens a lot is people will hear phrases like, well, everybody knows, like Chris had talked about this before, but everybody knows that Jesus is just the recycled Redeemer idea, that Mm -hmm. it's the same story that's been passed around, and and, and you can be intimidated, especially if a professor says it, but right. mm. it doesn't matter that he said it. The question is, does the evidence back it up? And so to not freak out just because someone says everybody knows or they're throwing out something. And it's also helpful for me to remember, if someone is making a claim, the burden of proof is on them to back the claim up. Right. Like if you're just going to throw stuff out and say, well, everybody knows the level's full of contradictions, you just go, well, so like what? Like yeah. you give it back to them or... Show me how, you know, Osiris is the same exactly oh as Jesus. And it's just like, it's their job to back it up. And so don't feel like mm-hmm. you've got to counter everything that anybody ever says. It's like, well, that's an interesting claim. Can you can you share with me why I should believe that? Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, I think we get 
we have this, I don't know, assumption that we're supposed to be able to refute everything that everybody says. And, mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's just not, it's, we don't have to, you know, take that burden on ourselves. I do think one, one of the things Bryn mentioned about it, pro- prophecy or, or miraculous science uh-huh. stuff, is related to the New Testament. Even though the letters that Paul wrote, there's not a whole bunch of, there's not fulfilled prophecy, but it's kind of this chain of thinking that Jesus did fulfill and by signs and wonders demonstrate that he was, you know, God in the flesh and that through his resurrection. And then right. that authority to speak was what he passed on to the apostles. Therefore, that's why they're considered the pillars of the foundation of the church there, because when they spoke, then it's the authority right. of God. And Paul did claim actually two different times that he was speaking for God. In 1 Corinthians 14, he said, right. even challenged, he said, if you're a prophet, you would know I'm actually speaking for God. And then um, in one other place, he said that he's written to the Thessalonians. He said, it was great when you when you heard from us what we brought to you, you received it not as a word of men, but as actually as the word of God. And so even making those claims is one thing that uh, some of the other books, like I mentioned before, the apocryphal books don't ever claim to be, don't claim to be the word of God. But that's why the apostles, it really is a big deal that we don't think God is continuing to give us more revelation today because of the apostles' authority. The the definition that a lot of people go by is in Acts 1, like when they wanted to replace Judas, they actually said, okay, here's the criteria for replacing him. It had to be someone who was with us who saw the resurrected Mm -hmm. Lord. Right. And then Paul even recognized, even though he's an apostle, he said, but I'm kind of a weird exception. Like, I saw him... Right, he appeared to me, but I'm, I'm kind of, you know, allowed yeah, the in. Last what do you call one that? In. Yeah, yeah, grafted right. in, grafted yeah. in, whatever it is. But he even recognized that, that I'm. Th- this is different than most of it. That's part of the reason that we would say the canon is closed too, is because when the when the apostles died, then you've right. got those people that had the direct authority passed on to them, mm. and they were they were gone as well. So it's a now. There's a, a another question I love just as a conversation. That I think is really fun. So I'm curious what you guys would say. Because is there a supernatural aspect to the canonization process itself? As in, mm-hmm. not was this just the, the works of humans, and, and all that is there. So I, I think we can defend that pretty well and show that, that it was chosen rationally, scientifically, with reason, the same way we would do it today. Mm-hmm. The same way we would say, is this there? If we were, like we, talked, like we joked about with the Star Wars canon, like right, right. You, would, you would need the originals to, to confirm it. You would need all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but is there, as with Scripture, with, with Holy Scripture, is there a sense of which the Holy Spirit protected it, mm-hmm. in, in, even all the way through the canonization process? Yeah. So one of the questions that I was asked in seminary and asked to write about was, so what if we found 3 Corinthians now? So if we're digging through some ancient place, you know, some pyramid somewhere, and we find Third Corinthians, would actually would, be zero Corinthians. It, it might be, be the, yeah. It, would be four, it might be the four, the first, first one, right? <laughs> so we don't, we don't 25. know which. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the prequel yeah. uh, episode for. So would you want it added in? Yeah. And, and and again, based on, of course, based on, you could absolutely somehow we absolutely knew with, which I don't know how we would, but yeah. we knew with absolute confirmation that it actually was Paul's letter to the Corinthians, one of the ones missing ones, would you want it added? And and it was intriguing to hear people discuss mm-hmm. from the supernatural perspective, mm-hmm. if, the, if the Holy Spirit had wanted, you know, zeroth Corinthians to be put in, it, it would be there. 
Uh Mm -hmm. which again, I was as a little bit more of a realist, I think sometimes in my thinking, I was like, I, I feel like I would want it, Uh but I don't know that it would have to be added into the same place. Like, anyway, it was an interesting conversation. I think that's the only time you would even have any debate in Christianity as to whether or not the canon would be closed in an absolute sense. Mm -hmm. If we found something that somehow we knew without any doubt, and again, I don't know how you would do that, Mm. that something was written by Peter, or there really was a Gospel of Thomas that was clearly, like somehow we knew, would you want that added? And Like still fit all the criteria somehow. Still fit all the criteria, written by an apostle, written, you know, fits the teaching. And of course, I would expect one answer is always the, you used the word sufficient. Oh, yeah. So in regards to this question, unpack that a little bit maybe. Wow, I love, that's a great question. Uh, I would, I, I think I would, I wouldn't feel like, man, if we don't add that, we're we're missing out on something. Right. I, I don't feel like I would, um, but I think we downplay the idea that it really was a big deal when the councils met and and debated. Some of them weren't debated, right. but really something like Hebrews, for example, people really did make this a big deal. And it so I just my point is it wasn't like. Um, oh yeah, sure, whatever. It was like, no, we really have got to make sure. And I feel like that's what would happen today. It would be like, mm-hmm. we've really got to have the best minds. And, and, and the same thing is what they did. Is they called together the best leaders right. that they had and said, we've got to discuss this. So I would definitely be open to it. I would have to be convinced in a lot of ways. But then there's the others. And I, I don't want this to be a main <laughs> thing, but there mm-hmm. is a subjective part where you know, Paul says that people without the Spirit of God can't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Right. And so I, I do think that is a factor to consider. Like, as we all read this, do we feel like, yeah, that is in line with everything else that I understand Scripture to say? Not does it resonate with me. Right, <laughs> that right. right. But still, uh, I think there is a part of that where I, I would need to read it and, you know, see if it, it feels like the authority of the, uh, of the mm-hmm. rest of Scripture. So, Yeah. I think I a know. question I have is kind of broader of what would be the implications of then reopening the canon, so to speak. Right. Like what yeah. would that mean for Christianity and theology? And yeah. that, added, that added. seems to have a lot of ramifications. <laughs> um, here's what struck me <laughs> oh, about it good. is the assumption would be that it wouldn't change anything about our theology. Right. What we have is sufficient. Yeah. It's not lacking in anything. So even if we found another book, I, I was kind of like, it would feel academic to me unless it radically changed our theology, in which case I would not believe that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a little bit of a catch-22. If it somehow radically changed theology, I would go, well, that doesn't fit with this other stuff Paul wrote. Paul didn't write this. If it didn't cha- radically change theology, then it doesn't really matter that much whether it gets put in or mm-hmm. not, because we have the fundamental stuff we need. Anyway... Sufficiency is an important part of the conversation when it comes to the closure of canon. There is a practical sense in which, well, nothing else is required. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing else is needed, and so that it's fine that, this, that the canon is closed. Yeah. Even if we did go back and find, so even if you, the argument of, well, the Holy Spirit protected his word. Um, one of the last books added in, the book of Jude, references Jude 3 has this line, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Hmm. And so it's one, that that it's one of the last books added in, and that it references this idea. There's a gospel that we have that is closed. Hmm. 
There is no need to add anything to the gospel. Jesus accomplished it. It was finished when he finished it. And so since the main purpose, I believe, of the Scripture is to reveal God's good news to us, then what that means is it is okay that canon is closed because what we need, we have. Now, if, if there was a great chapter in, you know, Zeroth Corinthians about parenting, I would sure love to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If there's a really great chapter about you know, the man who fought a, a lion on a snowy day in <laughs> right. a pit, like, I would love to have more of that. Like, I'd yeah. love to get that. But I don't need either, either of those for the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so those are, those are well presented. It's like no one need to know Jesus from ages 12 to 30. Like, right. tell me more. Right. Like, what, what did you do? Or even yeah. the, like, teaser of if everything that Jesus didn't said were written down. Right. The whole world couldn't contain the yes. books. And you're like, then yes. why didn't he yeah. try? <laughs> That's actually one of those, and there's an interesting Bible, we might look it up for the show notes, but there's an interesting Bible project series on their podcast where they talk about the Bible having editors mm-hmm. and how that really freaks some people out. Mm-hmm. How, how much were these conversations shortened? Were they made easy? Were they summarized? That kind of stuff. It's just, there's a lot there. And even how, I think one thing that The Chosen helped me remember was we don't know exactly how each apostle wrote the story or how it happened, but it is cool to remember them as human because even the apostles, sometimes we get this very disconnected view of them. And, and in The Chosen, they they decided to show Matthew because he's such a meticulous person right. in the show that mm. he's like recording things as Jesus goes along. Like He is the one that's like, I have to get this right. And, and whether mm. or not that's how it happened, it was neat to remember that Jesus was actually on earth and a human. It was one of those things, again, that um, was just neat to connect of like, yeah, they're just writing and hearing things for the first time too. And even my Sunday school self winces in The Chosen when you see Peter and Matthew not getting along. Yes. Like, I'm just like, oh, but Mm -hmm. no, I'm positive that's what happened. All their relationships weren't perfect. Yeah, they were not perfect. I think of... Mm-hmm. Matthew and then like Simon the Zealot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, they would have been yeah. right. unshocking that Jesus kept them together. Right, right. right. Or that like right. the idea that the brothers might have ganged up on people or something. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I can see that's that's just James people. and John. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Just like kind of yeah. we've been together longer, all exactly. of that. Exactly. Yep. Like, even as they're writing down the story and Mary's telling her story and she's like, Oh wait, people might misinterpret that. Don't word it that way, but say this instead. You know, just like <laughs> yes. very uh-huh. real recalling of real. the stories. But yeah, that's good stuff. So it's back to your original point. Yeah. So is it accurate to say that most likely there are other books that were inspired that they're just not included <laughs> in our canon? That's the question that you could you could have people not. really get up in arms about. Were the books not included? Were the letters we know existed that weren't included? If they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, would they be in it? And it's all academic. We can't know. Right. But I can tell you, I have pastor friends who, if, if I said, if you found the other letter, one of the other letters to Corinth, would you include it? They would absolutely, like, no, and I will die on a fire right. to prevent it. Like, wow. the canon is set. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit took care of it. To claim that we could add zeroth Corinthians is to claim the Holy Spirit didn't finish his job in the original. And so they're that serious right. about... There are people who interpret, for example, 1 Corinthians 13, when it says, we shall, even then we shall know, even as we are fully known, that that phrase is referencing the canonization of Scripture. Hmm. So that's how seriously that concept is taken. It is, it is, yes, humans were involved, and yes, they did a good job, and you can, we can honor that. But, but fundamentally, if it's not there, it's because the Holy Spirit didn't want it there. 
Right. But it doesn't mean he wasn't inspiring them to write other right. books to other churches at the time. It at just the time. means that it wasn't what all that we needed right. for life and godliness. There you go. Yes. Yeah. In fact, another thing to consider, by the way, guys, is that is that what Christians aren't claiming by canonization of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit has now gone quiet. Right. Mm. So the Holy Spirit still reveals the most trustworthy source of His revelation to us is Scripture. That's what it means in Christianity to say that Scripture is canonized, is that this is where we can go to find um, the truth, and, and it still is not, as we've talked about over and over again, we're not this unsophisticated way of engaging with it. We have to be intentional. We have to know what we're reading. We have to study it. We have to get the context and all that. But that being said, you know, yes, the Holy Spirit may still um, inspire us, speak to us, uh, influence us, all mm-hmm. the different things. It illuminate His Word as well as inspire it. So yeah, um, it isn't a claim that, that God stopped working somewhere in the 300s when the canonization was put in place. Mm-hmm. It was just, we have confidence in these mm-hmm. by the original church fathers to put their stamp of, yep, these we are confident enough to put them in, the ones we didn't put in, we don't have enough confidence to put them in, mm-hmm. and we're entrusting that God protected this process to that degree. Yeah. There, is a, there is a bit of faith in this, no doubt. Even with all the rationality, there is a bit of, okay, I, I do have to yeah. believe that if the Spirit wanted me to have something else in Scripture, He could have made sure it was there. Right. And the importance of it being written down, I think another reason why it needed to be all written down and agreed upon is because people can subjectively claim a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And unless you have some kind of a standard that we can all refer to, um, it just, things could get out of control. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have something where we can all go, yes, uh-huh. this is the word of God. And we actually have it here that we can all see it and we all have access to it versus this subjective private mm-hmm. word from God that there's no way to right to back it to up, back it up or yeah. disprove or prove it. These heresies were already happening when the apostles were still alive, which you see them write about. Right. But then, like you said, once they started dying, they needed that mm-hmm. written mm-hmm. down. So there's kind of New Testament canonization in a nutshell. You could take classes, you can take 100-hour classes on just this material, but but that, that should get people started who are feeling the fear of the need to deconstruct because of it, or they don't know what to reconstruct with. That gives us a good start. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.